This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What if we have a vaccine? I mean, that's what today's rally was all about, a virtual dry run, just in case Moderna is really able to produce its COVID vaccine en masse by the end of the year. Normally, vaccines take years to develop. The speed record is four years for months. But Moderna uses artificial intelligence, by the way, fueled by Amazon Web Services, to speed up the drug delivery and discovery process. Their COVID vaccines already going into phase two trials, and they're shooting for phase three this summer. That's incredible. That's much faster than anyone believed possible not that long ago. And if it works, if there are no serious side effects, that would change everything. Oh, how many ifs? There are mighty big ifs, too. But today's rally gives us a glimpse of what the future may look like if Moderna works with the Dow up 211 points. Ah. S&P climbing 1.15%, and then Nasdaq falling 1.41%. Or at least that's the glass half full version of what happened today. This Panglossian worldview says you have to ignore tomorrow's hideous non-farm payroll number at 830 because that's in the rear view. If there's a vaccine around the corner, then you have to believe the economy's bottom and the future is much brighter than the past. We were also buoyed by a host of companies that said April and even the beginning of May have been surprisingly strong. Lyft, Uber, PayPal and two companies here tonight, Etsy and Square. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This market does have a tendency to bounce between unbridled optimism and total despair. No middle ground. The class have full view. Let's let's unpack it. First, now that we're gradually reopening the economy, it, it's possible that April marked the bottom in a host of different industries, from toys to waste disposal to aerospace. That's what the hard-headed CEO of Raytheon Technologies, Greg Hayes, told us this morning on Squawk on the Street. Of course, his argument is that it can't get any worse than April for aerospace because everybody stopped flying. Bad news for a company that makes components and services for pa- uh, that services them for passenger planes. Uh, thank heavens they have a powerful defense business. Second, we're getting a partial return to normalcy. Some restaurants are open, though admittedly with very, very few tables, and, and certainly maybe not enough to, for them to ultimately survive. But with government covering eight weeks of payroll, it makes sense to give it a shot. Wind Resorts, by the way, has a very thoughtful plan to reopen. And i got to tell you, it's aided by the experts from Georgetown's and Johns Hopkins. They're not fooling around. This morning, I got an email headed, that's right, sports are back. There's a big UFC 249 bout on May 9th between two, no doubt, fantastic fighters. And it's being broadcast this Saturday in front of a fanless audience. 
It looks like uh, at least some of pro sports empresarios have figured out how to do business in the COVID era. Can basketball, baseball, football be far behind? Maybe someone's figured how to do team sports for real. I don't know. You Abbott test them in halftime. And that's why uh, that might explain why Disney's uh, rallying today for a after a suboptimal quarter, by the way. Big deal for them if ESPN has something to broadcast again other than Michael Jordan. Third, we know that reopening the economy right now is incredibly risky. There's a very real chance that we get a major spike in new cases. But maybe all the physical distancing prevents that from happening. At the end of the day, I think the government has less control over this stuff than we'd like to believe. If people feel safe, the economy will come roaring back. If they don't feel safe, then they'll keep staying at home even after we come out of quarantine. But the glass half full crowd, well, they believe we can lift the lockdowns and go back to normal. Fourth, oil's made a comeback. Notice that after briefly collapsing to a negative 37 I don't think we'll see that again last month. Uh, oil futures are now back to 23 bucks. Of course, uh, that's still nowhere near high enough to prevent a wave of bankruptcies in the patch. But many hedge funds view oil as the ultimate barometer of economic health. So they see this rally as a sign that maybe the reopening's working. Fifth, we don't have a vaccine yet. But you know what? We do have a drug that can get severe COVID patients, some of them at least, out of a hospital a few days earlier, Gilead's remdesivir. Earlier this week, Regeneron announced that it's tantalizingly close to a monoclonal antibody that can help fight the virus once you catch it. Hey, maybe it can work side by side with remdesivir, part of a cocktail. I mean, that's how we got HIV under control, and it's how we cured uh, hep C. Remember, HIV was Dr. Fauci. Hey, those who are knocking Dr. Fauci, come here. I got something for you. Yeah, that's your head. Anyway, there's justifiable hope away from the vaccine, I guess. Six, we have companies that are thriving in this new world. Companies like ServiceNow. You've seen that thing at Salesforce.com. Okta, that's a Kramer family fave. Coupa, Ring Central. how can I help you? And a ton of other companies I have brought to you again and again and again. These cloud-based software plays, which we have been behind from the beginning. Well, their stay-at-home economy, they figured that out. Now they're figuring out how to get it so your business is, is open. And that's why their stocks have been on fire, including today's monster 40% run in Twilio, the cloud-based messaging software play run by Jeff Lawson, so ably representing his company in closing bell. Finally, the action of the stock market suggests that we're seeing some real economic activity. Hey, maybe it's the stimulus checks, perhaps because of payroll protection. Unemployment's going up. What the, the actually what you get for being unemployed. Whatever, whatever, it's happening and it's beginning to work. We see it in stocks. Home Depot's rallied for days on end, so is Lowe's. Stanley Black and Decker's flying. Perhaps there might be uh, even a gardening season this year, like Christmas for Home Depot or Lowe's, although it's going to be so crowded, I'm going from seed. I am. I'm planting seeds this year. The home builders seem to have bottomed, too. That's a big slug of the economy. Remember, it punches above its weight. You can construct a pretty positive narrative out of these seven points. But there's one little problem. We don't know how much of this stuff is going to happen. It's entirely possible Moderna's vaccine doesn't work. Maybe it's not as effective after a few weeks. Maybe there are some serious side effects. There are good reasons why we've never gotten a vaccine to the market in less than four years. So many things go wrong when you inject a healthy person with what's basically a tiny dose of disease. Maybe we're reopening the economy too soon. We've seen other countries pull this off, but they all had enough testing and contact tracing so they could rapidly stamp out any new outbreaks. They embraced face masks, something many people in this country seem to find repulsive or just too inconvenient, 
including the president of the United States. When you exclude the New York metro area, we haven't really bent the curve in the country. New cases are still accelerating. Thousands of people die every day. Seems ill-advised to reopen before we've gotten the pandemic under control in some states. We can't just pretend this thing will go, uh, will go away. I do favor reopening, but in the states where it's going on still higher, I don't know. Sounds ill-advised. And the strength of the stock market might have less to do with the fundamentals and more to do with a lack of viable alternatives. Plus, bullish growth-oriented money managers have been inundated with cash after a fabulous month of April. As for me, I am more optimistic, too, but I don't want to get too wild-eyed. I like to keep some cash around now for the inevitable disappointment. We don't know how this situation will play out, so we should own stocks that can thrive during a recession. Yeah, Kramer's Mad Money Index, but also do fine once we claw our way out of the abyss. I don't want anything that's getting obliterated by the virus. Think the airlines. I don't want to mess with companies that have challenged balance sheets and suspect dividends. I'm willing to make an exception for Disney, even though it did suspend its dividend for the next quarter, next uh, when they do a half year dividend because it has such an iconic brand. But everything else in the COVID blast radius, forget about it. Don't touch the hotels. If you have them and they're running, sell them. Don't touch the banks. If you have them, they're running, sell them. But the bottom line, I get this rally. It's based on hope. And while hope should never be part of the equation, the truth is there are some real positives now occurring. The trick right now, we need to acknowledge that good things can still happen without going into denial about all the bad things that are currently happening. It's a tough, tightrope to walk but I'll get you where you need to go. Hey, let's go to Harish in Illinois. Harish. Hi, Jim. Good to have you. Thank you. Uh, So here's my question. I bought Nike at around 89 last year. It had a decent day today, but I'm a little wary of its future in a post-COVID world. Do Mm -hmm. I sell and maybe buy one of the stocks on your now famous Matt COVID? No, no, I don't want you to sell Nike. Nike's really good, and they're having a good quarter. And even I don't care where you bought it. uh, I I care where it's going to, and I think Nike goes back to its old high. So please don't sell that one. All right. The prospect that Moderna's vaccine set to begin a phase two trial could be effective in fighting COVID-19 ignited a spark of hope and consequently today's rally. Despite its promise, I want you to continue to stick with stocks that can thrive in a recession, but also going out of one. On Man Tonight, by Swiss with Norwegian Cruise Lines. How is the company navigating the uncertain waters during a pandemic and a big fundraise? Then I'll tell you why Beyond Meat is able to keep winning in its market. And Etsy sales doubled in April thanks to homemade masks. But the stock eh, went down a little bit today, only after hitting all-time high. I'm talking with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. What do we do? What do we do with companies that I have to say are just kind of right in the blast zone? Blast zone of COVID-19. But also ones that can raise enough money to stay solvent through this very tough period. 
So take Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. It's the smallest of the three major cruise players. We've had them on a number of times. Earlier this week, Norwegian got hammered when the company filed an 8K, that's a government document, where they revealed that they lacked liquidity to pay their obligations over the next 12 months if they didn't raise capital. Stock got clobbered. But it turns out this was part of the disclosure of a successful fundraising process. Norwegian just raised $2.2 billion for the stock and bond markets, including a $40 million secondary offering at $11 a share, $675 million of senior notes with a 12.25% interest rate. That's high. And they're not favorable terms. And the cruise business is obviously in rough shape. They can't start operating again at least until July at the earliest. You've got to wonder how many customers will come back before they, uh, we have a coronavirus vaccine. But the going concern risk has been taken off the table, and that's a very big deal. Hence why the stock surged nearly 8% today. So let's take a closer look at Frank Del Rio. He's the president and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, again, on multiple times, to get a better read of the capital raise, what it means for the company's future. Mr. Del Rio, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be with you. Okay, so Frank, we want to understand, first of all, um, what was the investment case you gave to the shareholders and new bondholders when, they, uh, came, when you came calling for money? Look, we told them the, uh, the, the, the great strength this company has, uh, has uh, exhibited over the last few years. We're a very, very strong company, as you know well. I've been with you several times in the last few months. And that this COVID-19 situation, too, shall pass. We've got the youngest fleet uh, in the marketplace. Customers are still booking. It's hard to believe, but Jim, but today we are only slightly below in load factors compared to we were this time last year. For 2020, for 21 sailing. So our loyal guests are still behind us. Uh, pricings remain strong. And it's a question of uh, how soon we can get back uh, doing what we do best. So look, the, the subscription was, uh, the offering was oversubscribed nearly seven times. We were able to upsize it. Not only did we upsize all tranches, but we then triggered all the green shoes. So we actually raised $2.4 billion dollars. Combined with the 1.1 that we already have, gives us over 18 months of liquidity in the event that there is zero revenue. You tell me another company in any industry, much less the travel and tourism, that has that kind of liquidity cushion and that kind of runway to outlast a zero revenue environment for 18 months. So we feel very, very good about the future. We feel very, very good about uh, our customers and our ability to come back. And uh, so yesterday was a great day, Jim. This, I have to admit, it's pretty amazing. Now, let me understand. Are you, do you expect to sail in 2020, or is this all for 2021? No, we expect to sail sometime in 2020. It would be irresponsible for me to give you a specific date because we still have to gain clearance from the, uh, the CDC and other government agencies. But we're working hard shoulder to shoulder with them to develop and uh, enhance uh, protocols of every kind you can think of. As you know, we may be, uh, as you may know, we're consulting um, with Dr. Scott Godlib, the former uh, commissioner right. of the FDA, and he's been very, very helpful. And we believe that together we'll be able to uh, uh, demonstrate to the CDC and other government officials that cruising is indeed safe. Not all cruise lines are created equal. We had a, a stellar performance um, when the uh, uh, outbreak first came out. Uh, had a handful, only a handful of, uh, of any kind of cases on board. Uh, and so we feel very, very good about uh, our, our prospects. And now with all that liquidity, 
uh, in the bank. Uh, it gives us uh, encouragement and the confidence to go forward. All right. Well, listen, Frank, I, Frank, I, I did go over the CDC numbers and it is true. I mean, you had a much lower rate of COVID. I mean, kind of in line with basically every company in the country, as opposed to cruise ship company. Why is that? What were you doing? Because it was pretty stark versus the other cruise companies. You know, we took immediate action when the uh, virus broke. We denied boarding to anyone who came through uh, China, Hong Kong, Macau, uh, all of Asia. We think that uh, that early action um, really helped to, to curb the, the spread, especially among crew. Um, and then we're very, very proud of our normal procedures in terms of cleanliness and disinfection. Um, we pride our, you know, I'm a bit of a neat freak, Jim, and my chips are pristine always, and I think that helps. Uh, but also we took immediate action when the, when the order came down to seize operations. We took it seriously. We had all our passengers home safe and sound by March 23rd, uh, uh, over a month before many others did. And so all those factors combined allowed us to post the, the incredible performance that we did. And I think customers, travel agents, and, and investors, quite frankly, took notice of that, that uh, cruising can be safe if done correctly. Okay, so, Frank, on March 8th, uh, when the disease was spiraling out of control, the, the Center for Disease Control did warn Americans to stay away from cruise ships. Did you launch any cruises from or to the United States past that advisory? Jim, um, that was a Sunday. I, quite frankly, I'm not sure whether we did or not. My, my guess is we probably did um, uh, start a, a cruise or two. But on, on March 13th, on Friday, March 13th, when the order came down, we were embarking two sailings, one out of Miami, one out of Port Canaveral. People were coming on board. They were having lunch. I told my Marine uh, VP, I said, let them have lunch, open the bar, and when they're done, please escort them off the ship because we're not sailing today. Got so we, it. We that's very the, important. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the reasons why we posted the numbers we posted, Jim. Absolutely. Now, what are you doing in terms of customers? How many customers took advantage of the 125% credit for future yeah. crews, and how many uh, opted for cash with, uh, when you guys uh, put out your edict? Roughly 50-50. 50-50. of the 50% who took the future cruise certificates, a little over a third have already booked their cruise primarily for fourth quarter of 2020 and throughout 21. Well, I mean, I looked at the price. I think, you know, you did cut some of the prices. They're pretty good, Frank. They're, you know, uh, Jim, we don't believe in discounting to fill the vessels. Our, our go-to-market strategy is market to fill. So as I said earlier, um, we're literally flat to uh, prior years in term, for 21 sailings prior to uh, versus 2020 at the same time. And our pricing is down mid-single digits. Right. Okay, that's, that's very true. I saw that. Right. Yeah. So... So, look, uh, there, there are going to be deals in the marketplace. We're going to have to stay competitive. But we know how to do this, I think, better than anyone else. You know, as you know, year after year, we lead the industry in yields, in ticket yields, and onboard revenue yields. We believe that customers always want value. They don't necessarily want low prices, cheap prices. They want value. And today what customers want more than anything else, Jim, is to know that they're going to see that they're going to be safe and healthy on board a cruise ship, and we are doing everything humanly possible to accomplish that through the work we're doing with uh, Dr. Gottlieb, the work we're doing right. with the CDC, and the experience that we've had operating vessels under these conditions, again, believe, prove that 
It can be done if done correctly. Well, Frank, I mean, how do you feel about, you know, there is some anger towards your industry. There have been a lot of critical articles, not about with Norwegian Cruise really ever mentioned. But what do you think of that, given the fact that you're, uh, the, the bookies are so good? Well, I think people are, are smarter than, pe- than, than they're giving credit for. They understand uh, uh, the good from the bad, uh, the wheat from the shaft, and, 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 and we're benefiting from that. It's unfortunate that uh, the industry had the missteps that it had early on, that it became uh, front-page news. Um, the industry has become a bit of the punching bag and a right. poster child for the coronavirus, and we aim to turn the tide. And uh, I'm very pleased that Norwegian was not involved in all that riffraff. And uh, it's one of the reasons why we're faring as well as we are. One of the reasons why invest, the investment community trusted us to invest $2.4 billion in our future and why everyone should feel comfortable booking their, uh, their next cruise with Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Well, excellent. And once again, I, I did check the CDC numbers for our viewers. And Frank Del Rio and Norwegian Cruise did have the best percentage numbers by far. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on Mad Money. We'll see you soon, Jim. All right, that's Frank Del Rio, President and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. We did a ton of work on this, and I've got to tell you, I would go back on a cruise with Frank, and we were about to. May have money's back here for the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps, There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com slash apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. Beyond me. It's not a product. It's an ethos. If you want to understand why this plant-based protein alternative stock has caught fire over the last month, well, that's all you need to know. Many younger consumers and younger investors, often the same, believe that we simply can't trust the food chain anymore. It's dirty. It's broken. It's unspeakably cruel. Like many other themes, the pandemic has thrown fuel on the fire of this one. So if you want a burger, you have to go with Beyond Meat. Their plant-based alternatives weren't made in slaughterhouses packed with COVID-19. When you read some of these stories about outbreaks at meatpacking plants, I mean, it doesn't it sound just like that book you had to read when you were in high school called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, the book that inspired Teddy Roosevelt to create the Pure Food and Drug Administration, now known as the FDA. For younger investors who want to rebel against the food chain, this spills over into the portfolios. You know what? Listen to what, it's a, look, it's a little long-winded, but come on, the guy's a showman. We don't have to worry. Listen to what Ethan Brown, the founder of CEO, CEO of Beyond Meat, told us just last night. It's definitely an ethos. It's one that this generation so clearly understands. As we've talked about before, Jim, we go to college campuses, and the reaction is amazing because I think particularly this generation coming up understands that we can't continue to have the ratio of people to livestock in a finite ecosystem. So we have to start making a different model for producing meat, and we have that model, and people are excited about it. A better protein delivery system. My hat is on. On to Ethan. In other words, Beyond Meat's an intellectually rigorous cult stock. 
Where have we seen that? Uh, how about Tesla? Even when the electric car company was losing vast sums of money, you had tons of younger believers who stuck with it because they believed the internal combustion engine's time was up. How about uh, Netflix? And talk about another thing that's been pulled forward by the, pan- by the pandemic. Uh, you know what those three have in common? The believers were right. Two of the three made fortunes. I think if you stick with this one, you'll do the same. Sometimes it's as simple as what young people use versus what old folks use. Millennials started buying things with PayPal on Amazon, so they stuck with PayPal and fell in love with Venmo. Do you see how that stock's doing today? Whoa! Uh, they want fresh and organic and sustainable food. So even though Chipotle had a couple of nasty health scares, the customers came roaring back to the stores and the stock buyers came roaring back to the stock. That one's going to a G. Thanks to companies like Robinhood and, and SoFi, which encourage younger uh, people to actually invest in individual stocks and not take so-called individual stock risk like I keep hearing in the brainwashing, the brainwash the industry. These believers have enough firepower to move up their cold stocks of choice in, in ways that seem Staggering to most seasoned investors because they just don't get it. They don't know what the younger generation can do when they like a stock. Okay, of course, not every cult name's a winner. There are tons of goofball pie in the sky stocks to gravitate, unproven biotech, space tourism, hydrogen fuel cells, uh, uh, vaccines that don't work, technology that never seems to go anywhere. But sometimes they've got a point. And I think that's the case with Beyond Meat. CEO Ethan Brown is trying to solve a real problem, and I'm talking about coming up with the tastiest, least expensive, healthiest meat alternative. He's on a mission to prevent diseases. Livestock are breeding grounds for new viruses that hop over to humans. He wants to disrupt the way we get protein because our industrial agricultural practices are inhumane and because raising millions of cows puts enormous stress on the environment. And Brown's being clever about it. He's lowering the price for his plant-based beef alternative right now. Right when the meat processing companies are all making front pages for, for having workers catch COVID, uh, causing plants to close and prices to rise. I know the traditional burger purveyors are fairly dismissive. Recently, I pressed Chris Kempchensky. He's the CEO of McDonald's, who is testing Beyond Meat burgers in Canada. Why he hasn't rolled them out here? What's taking so long? Oh, he seemed puzzled about what he called the hobbyist in me. Hobbyist. Wants to see how... Wants to, I want to see it on the menu because I'm a hobbyist. But he didn't realize that it's not a hobby. It's an ethos. And it's an ethos that's going to win. Just one more example of a long-term trend that the pandemic has accelerated beyond belief. A revulsion to wet markets, an aversion to unhygienic slaughterhouses and meatpacking plants, and a sense that maybe it's worth sacrificing some flavor if it means saving the planet. And just to be sure, meat, beyond meat, my palate can't tell a difference. Zach in Texas. Zach. Jimmy Chill. Yo, yo. Hey, um, big booyah from Lubbock, Texas, and happy birthday to my little brother out there. I was thinking about uh, that thing. I was thinking, I remember it was your little brother. What's going on? <laughs> hey, uh, given How's the, the big bopper doing? Hey. How about Chantilly Lace, uh, right? Hey, oh. absolutely. All right. <laughs> doing well. Hey, um, right now in the current sentiment with oil and gas industry, uh, we do a lot of work with Atmos Energy. What are your thoughts on ticker symbol ATO? That's a very solid company. I, you know, I, I don't think uh, you sound like a younger fellow. I, I think that's a little conservative. I mean, to me, I'd like to see it sound a little more aggressive. But no, but they're a very, very well run company. 
Very good company. Uh, I like the natural gas, but you know, Mark Electric Power just had a big drop off, and I think that's a better one. All right, look, the pandemic is prompting a sense of wariness. It's pulling through a lot of big ideas, too, and the younger investors are loving it. The, the sentiment is benefiting beyond me. The company represents the investor's vision for what the future should look like, and they taste good. Much more we have money ahead. Looking for a way to help small business during these uncertain times? I'll tell you how Etsy can help. Then, can't get a PPP loan? I'll ask the CFO of Square why it may be time to consider a fintech company. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This isn't just the stay-at-home economy. I got a new name for it. It's called the Etsy economy. Last night, Etsy reported, while the headline numbers were only so-so, get the guidance for next quarter is downright incredible. Remember, Etsy is a huge online marketplace for handcrafted goods, and lately their site has become the single best place to find cloth face masks, which the CDC started recommending last month, given the shortage of medical-grade personnel protective equipment. How big is this business? Last month alone, $133 million worth of masks were sold on Etsy's platform, including the one that my executive producer, Regina Gilgan, is wearing at this very moment. Quite stylish. While the first quarter results were somewhat mixed, a small revenue beat coupled with modest earnings missed, the forecast for the second quarter was stunning. Etsy's guiding for 70 to 90 percent revenue growth. Yes, I'm going to repeat that. 70 to 90 percent revenue growth as they're getting a boost from the from the pandemic. No wonder this stock's up more than 150 percent from its March lows. It got dinged a bit today, but only because it had run so much. And of course, it did hit its all time high near the opening. Oh, and they just got a very public shout out from Drew Barrymore. I just wanted to give a shout out to Etsy and say that they are doing uh, so many things right in this time. I mean, unbelievable. Hey, so we've been behind this forever, but can it keep going? Can it keep roaring? Let's check in with Josh Silverman. He's the presidency of Etsy to learn more about the quarter and the outlook. Where his company's headed? Mr. Silverman, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. How are you? It's great well, to see you. Josh, I got to tell you, sometimes in a, when you're down, you'll go and you'll read a transcript of a conference call and you'll think, you know what? Not only is America a great place, but we have unbelievable companies. I just want you to tell people why a Drew Barrymore would be so in awe of what you're doing. Well, uh, first, we're really grateful to Drew for that, but mostly it's about supporting our sellers. So at a time when the economy has been so hard hit, we're really proud that we can give people an opportunity to go earn income for their families and for buyers where they have a lot of needs right now. And there are a lot of places that aren't able to serve their needs. Etsy is very much open for business and shipping. And when you buy from Etsy, you're supporting your neighbor. Now, I don't I, I know you want that we have to go well beyond uh, mass, but I do have to give you a chance just to talk about the number that you sold, the millions of dollars and what it's meant. Yeah, we sold one hundred and thirty three million dollars of face masks in the month of April. That's about 12 million masks. And just to paint a picture Uh, You know, when the CDC changed its guidelines at the beginning of April to say that they recommended fabric face masks, we all of a sudden saw 
overwhelming amounts of demand come onto our site. It's as though we woke up and it was suddenly Cyber Monday, but everyone in the world wanted only one product, and it was a product that basically didn't exist two weeks before. And through marshalling the power of the Etsy community, within days we had thousands of sellers making masks, and we were, our sellers were making hundreds of thousands of masks per day within a week or two of the CDC's changing its guidance. That's just incredible. Do you know that when I saw that you were on, I thought that the story would be how great Mother's Day was, because that's usually the time where I, that's when I always go to go. To, but I mean, it's almost a, a, an afterthought, but I bet your Mother's Day was fabulous as usual. Yeah, non-mask sales on Etsy were up 79% year over year in the month of April. And look, there are still some sellers in some categories that are getting really hard hit. So weddings would normally be a huge category for us in the month of April and for our sellers in the month of April. Weddings is down more than 50% year over year. But many other categories are doing absolutely fantastic. Things like home furnishings to make your home more cozy. Things like toys and games with the kids, craft supplies, gardening activities, uh, gifting for friends. All of these categories are just doing fantastic. There are so many great things to buy across so many categories on Etsy. And our sellers are so good at inventing products that are really relevant for the moment and then being ready to ship those. Okay, well... There must also be, because you talked about at home, this is an economy where people have tremendous resilience. If they're not able to be at their job, they have a level of creativity that they probably wanted to be wanted to express all their lives. Are you seeing people who are suddenly craftspeople who basically always had these talents, but now that they're out of work, are able to express them in a way that may be more satisfying? They may never go back to regular work. It's entirely possible. You know, the number of new shops opening on uh, Etsy doubled in the month of April. And what I think is important is that I think that there are long-term trends that are happening here that have been pulled forward by years. There's still a lot of consumers out there that only really shop offline, that haven't really tried shopping online. And now they're trying shopping online and they're liking it. And so I think we might see a change that, that, that is a big change that lasts. Well, you used a great term. You're calling it a meaningful and lasting inflection point. Yeah, we we hope so. You know, Etsy uh, does so many things for so many people, but most people think of us just for the product they've bought. So if you bought on Mother's Day uh, at Etsy, you think of Etsy only for Mother's Day, and someone else thinks of us only for home furnishings, and someone else thinks of us only for gardening supplies. And what's great in this moment is that people are, are, are thinking about Etsy for so many other things, and the Etsy sellers are really rising to the challenge. They're doing a fantastic job of, of shipping on time and delighting customers in this moment. And so we hope we've had the chance to prove to people that you can come to Etsy for everyday things, and we can inject joy into the everyday, and then they'll keep coming back over time. And, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. This is a really unusual moment, but we're certainly working hard to make sure that we earn these people's loyalty. Well, you talk about keep commerce human. I think that at a time when people feel very frustrated and very alone, Etsy does feel like a community. And it's also a community that uh, that is got dynamism. And I feel like that you have done something that was so great through artificial intelligence. You've enabled someone to say mask and it doesn't send you just a Halloween. 
Yeah, that was a big task for our team, actually, because, you know, when we went to bed on March 31st, if you were searching for a mask, you were looking for a Halloween mask or you were looking for face cream to make your skin look younger. And on April 1st and 2nd, all of a sudden, the definition of masks changed. And our search engine team needed to change our search algorithms within hours so that the, the when you searched for masks, you saw masks. Because they were able to change our search algorithms so quickly, we ended up being one of the top couple of search results on Google in, in, in natural search. And that has had huge lasting benefits. So the team has really worked hard and in, with incredible urgency to respond to the moment. And I think that's what I find so exciting is that the Etsy seller base is so dynamic and the Etsy team is so dynamic that we feel like come what may, our marketplace is prepared to respond to the changing consumer needs. Now, uh, also, I know that we should always just say you did this with people, your own team spread all over the place. I think that's important because we've been to your Brooklyn headquarters. I could, it's hard for me to imagine that all the people from Etsy aren't there every day, but they're not right now. They're not. They're not. They're all working from home. And I mean, to tell another story, you know, we decided in late March to push back our TV spend because March was a really hard month and sales were way down. Sales were negative 20 percent in the month of March. They were positive 79 percent putting aside masks. Without masks, they were up 79% in April. And so we told our marketing team, we need to get on TV now to tell our story. This is our moment. And so within two weeks, they came up with a whole new brand strategy. They created new television ads in two weeks without getting to hire any actors or bring them in a studio. They had to take existing footage, cut it, turn it into a TV commercial, negotiate ad buys, and be on TV. And by mid-April, we were on TV with television commercials that I think are beautiful and emotional and tell our story really well. Well, look, I got to salute you. I mean, it's so yeah, look, I'm partial to you anyway, because you're down the block for me for heaven's sake. But wow, you totally delivered. And the the mask, it makes it makes us we needed one good feel good story. And you delivered it. Josh Silverman from Etsy delivered it. Thank you so much, Josh. Great to see you. That's Josh Silverman, Etsy CEO. Yes, I still love the stock. How can you not? Man, money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the Nightmare Concern! What is that? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the Nightmare Concern! I'm going to start with Dan in Pennsylvania. Dan! Booyah, Jimmy Chill! Oh, the chill is in the house. What's up? Jimmy, what do you think of Omnicom? You know, yields 5%, very solid company, probably one of the last men standing in advertising. I say, ah. Yo- Yanni in New York, Yanni. Hey, Jim. Go. Go Eagles, go Eagles. Go Birds. Um, speaking of, what do you think about DraftKings? Okay, so uh, Ben St- Ben Stoto and I have decided we have to do a full workup on DraftKings. Why? Because it moved up from 18 to 23, and we feel like we misrecommending the stock. We're going to go back and find out more. I need to go to Tom in my home state of New Jersey. Tom! Jim, thanks for taking my call. I recently want to just run something by you. I had a good enough reason why to get into this stock. One of my favorite new CEOs surrounded himself with good people. Everybody had good yield right now. 
And uh, I wish you can get Charlie Sharp to come on your show and give yeah, us some good Yeah, I wish Charlie would come on, too. I know Charlie. He's a terrific guy. Uh, here's yeah, the problem, he well, problem with Wells Fargo. I do not like the bank stocks. Uh, I don't like them. I mean, because I think that if we don't get a vaccine, then there's a lot of companies that can go belly up. And Wells has got no fault of Charlie. He didn't write these loans. Uh, they got some bad loans on there. Let's go to uh, Chris in California. Chris. Kramer, you're the man. Thanks for having me on. I try to be the man. Hey, what's your take on Cybosordin? You know, blood purification is probably one of the most important things going on in this country right now, and that's them. We're fine. James in Alabama. James. Hey, Jim. I wanted to get your opinion on taking up a long-term position of uh, Real Estate Investment Trust EPR properties. Man, they had disaster ruining my fatty quarter with hardly, you know, with only a fraction of people paying rent, but that's because they are experiential, and that went from good to really horrible. I'm going to have to say no. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the good of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Look at Square Run! Last night, the payment technology company reported a seemingly mixed quarter, modest revenue beat, coupled with surprise earnings loss. But wait a second. We know Square's clients have been obliterated by the pandemic and the lockdown. Seller gross payment volume was down 39% in April. And, of course, all this started in the middle of March. I know it sounds grim at first, though. But then, and that caused the stock to get slammed in after hours trading. But then this morning... As the analyst coverage rolled in, Square stock turned positive, with the stock ultimately pole vaulting nearly 10% today, deservedly so. See, while the brick-and-mortar clients may be struggling, Square Cash, their peer-to-peer payment app, is on fire. April was the best month ever. Plus, with the economy reopening, well, you have to believe that last month was as bad as it gets for the core business. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Amrita Ahuja. She is the CFO of Square. Learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Amrita, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. All right, so Amrita, I've been through the PPP process, and I, I have to tell you, I thought it was very daunting. And then I see that you helped a tremendous number of companies uh, get their money rather quickly. So how'd you do it? Jim, we were focused on taking the work off of our customers' plates so they can focus on running their businesses in this harrowing time. What we focused on doing was creating an application that was easy to understand. And for some of our customers, our Square Payroll customers in particular, we were even able to pre-populate many of the fields in the application so, again, we could make it as seamless a process as possible. And the result of that so far through this second round is that the SBA has approved over 45,000 applications and $520 million worth of loans to Square sellers. The average loan size at about $12,000, which is a fraction of the $200,000 average loan size from the first round of PPP. Clearly, we are fighting for the folks who don't have other options and who really need this cash flow to run their business. You guys just add fighting for the folks that we thought the program was designed for initially and is now working. And uh, I'm glad that it is. But it's hard to negotiate. It's, it's hard to navigate and square knew how to do it. This was also a quarter where I think that you're you have two ecosystems and they've been very separate. Uh, and I know Jack was on the Jack Dorsey was on the call. But if you could describe the people, how the ecosystems collided in a very positive way. I think it tells a lot of why I think Square's a great company. 
We have two ecosystems, one that serves sellers, millions of small and medium-sized businesses across the U.S. and our four international markets to help them start, run, and grow their business. We also have an ecosystem that serves individuals called Cash App, which is a mobile app that helps people send, spend, store it, save, and now invest money. And you're right that we saw two different um, stories emerge over the past few months across our seller ecosystem and our cash app ecosystem. While our, many of our sellers were hit very hard starting in mid-March with shelter in place, what we've seen is some stories of resilience and improvement in some of the trends over the past few weeks as existing sellers have been able to adapt their business to contactless commerce through omni-channel products and services that we serve. As an example, our Square online store, uh, weekly GPV is up 5x what it was uh, just weeks ago pre-COVID. Secondly, we've been able to attract new sellers because of the strength and diversity of our ecosystem on the seller side. And third of all, through the government stimulus efforts, like the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, which we've helped facilitate half a billion dollar loans for, we've seen some sellers be able to get back on their feet. So we're, while materially impacted by COVID, we're beginning to see improvement that we're encouraged by. On the Cash App side, where we have more than 24 million monthly active customers as of the end of 2019, we're seeing resilience in this time. We're seeing not only growth in top of funnel where we set new milestones for net new transacting active customers in both March and April, but we're setting milestones in terms of product adoption across our debit card, the cash card, our investing products, equities, fractional investing, and Bitcoin investing, and our peer-to-peer -peer products. And part of that is through how Cash App is participating in new forms of commerce and consumer giving that's taking place online and on social media, yeah. whether it's online tipping or social giving, we're a part of the cultural conversation with Cash now, App. Now, I had another question, but when people hear uh, Bitcoin, they go crazy. So we got to go back a little bit on the tape. Tell us what you're doing, Bitcoin, because you know that remains a fascination for many, for many of our viewers. For the past year and a half or so, we've enabled our customers to transact Bitcoin through the Cash App platform in a fairly seamless way. And then about six months ago, we launched a new product where customers can transact fractional equities. So you too can be an owner of Amazon or Berkshire Hathaway, these stocks that are often priced out from a dollar per share perspective to most of our communities. Um, and so these uh, these services through investing, whether Bitcoin or equities, really enable economic empowerment, which is what we're focused on for our customers. Okay, one last question. Are you worried as I am with social distancing or let's call it let's call it physical distancing? Some restaurants in particular might not be able to make as much money to be able to stay their ground. We are seeing stories of resilience. Of course, okay. there are many customers out there who have been materially impacted by shelter in place and physical distancing. But we're also seeing stories of restaurants being able to pivot to become retail oriented, grocers, marketplaces, selling their wares online. And that's part of what we feel we can enable them to do. Because we serve verticals across a multitude of verticals, whether retail, mm -hmm. food and beverage, 
or services, we have the unique capability to help them adapt to these changing times. Well, I know a lot of small business people who swear by you guys, and I'm so glad you came on our show. Square had a really good quarter, and you're doing it by helping your clients. That's the way it should be. Thank you so much, Amrita. Great to see you. That's it, Amrita Ahuja. She is the CFO of Square, which had a remarkable quarter. Their money's back at people. Square talk about resilience, and maybe there is more resilience than people realize. For instance, Disney. Wasn't that supposed to be a horrible quarter? Well, it wasn't great, but the stock is up nicely since then. We saw Uber start moving. Why? Because recently Uber's been doing better, Lyft's been doing better. We heard about Square doing better, PayPal's doing better. Think about all these companies that are doing better, and then you say to yourself, okay, maybe things are better. You layer on the possibility of a vaccine. And then you understand why the market has been so buoyant. Should it stay this way? We need more good information over and over and over again, or else it won't work. Norwegian Cruise, wow, so they did so well. Like I say, there's always more market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Marks and Turmoil with Scott Wapner begins now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.